Jonah chapter number one is where we're going to pick up. I really just have been thinking about, instead of topically uh, preaching on Sunday mornings, uh, many of you have to work and things like that and don't, don't make it back on Sunday nights. And I wanted to kind of do what we do on Sunday nights uh, on Sunday mornings. And so I'm going to take uh, this this book here and and go through the the idea of of Jonah uh, as a book as a whole. And it's a short book. Uh, as I said earlier, the the story of Jonah is really just one part of one chapter of an entire book, uh, Jonah and the whale. And outside of Jonah, there he's not mentioned too many other times, and yet he still is one of the most famous. Uh, characters in the Bible. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting story, probably because it hasn't really happened uh, since then that we know of for this reason, at least. And so, uh, and and a lot of people, I think, too, that uh, want to question the the uh, authenticity of the Bible and if it's inerrant, actually true or not. They look at stories like these that are so crazy sounding and say, "See that that really can't happen." Uh, but God's word said it did, and uh, we'll get when we get into these these other parts here, uh, we'll we'll take some more uh, looks into this. But I want to, as we kind of did with Second Corinthians, sorry, First Corinthians, uh, explain a little bit of what what's uh, the background behind Jonah because it ex- it helps us to understand the entire book of Jonah. But it's going to really help us to understand what's going on today in this idea of why Jonah ran. If you uh, just to kind of give you a, a, an understanding of where we're going for the next couple of weeks. Uh, week one is Jonah in Gathifer. That's where Jonah's from, Gathifer. And uh, it sounds like he had a lisp or something. But he, he uh, and then there's Jonah in the boat. That'll be next week. And then we have Jonah in the whale. And then we have Jonah in Nineveh. And we have Jonah in the booth. But uh, that's where we'll, we'll be heading for the next couple of weeks. But I want to give you a little bit of a background. And so I, I gave you the uh, this short little outline here to explain where we're trying to go. If I could put a one-word theme on the book of Jonah, it would be mercy. Mercy. And it's really not one that on a casual glance is very obvious. But really, as you dig into it, mercy is everywhere throughout the book of Jonah in his life, in the people of Nineveh's life, and all around us. I didn't plan for it to be like this, but as I began to study it, I realized how much of a patriotic themed message it was turning out to be and so i i don't know if you came looking for something fourth of july-ish um god bless america is not one of the verses in the bible uh united states of america is not actually found there in the in the greek or the or the hebrew but uh you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of truths that we can pull out but as i mentioned a couple of weeks ago or maybe it was last sunday night you know when we come we come to Come, this is about Jesus. This is about God. And I want to take honor or you know, take time to do different things throughout the year, but uh, this, is, this is not a, a, a God bless America sermon by any means, but there are some patriotic uh, themes in it, some, and you'll see those as we go along. As I began to unlo- unfold this, unwrap this, pa- this, this passage, this, this question came to mind. And this is something I would like for you to dwell on as we, uh, as we go through this, this message. And this question is, uh, is this. Is my patriotism, my love for my country, greater than my Christianity? 
I, if I just said that out there and I, and, and I could force you to answer, you'd say, no, of course not. They're equal, right? Or we say God, country, uh, God, family, country, or God, country, family, or however you might say it, football in there somewhere. Uh, there's priorities in our, in our lives, right? But as we see, we'll see through Jonah's life, uh, he had to face this question. And he didn't answer it the way it should have been answered. But possibly he answered it the way that many of us would answer it today. Jonah may be another reason why it's such a, a, a popular book is because Jonah is such a relatable character. Though none of us would want to say, yep, that's me, I'm Jonah, my favorite favorite character in the Bible, because there's not a whole lot of positive stuff going on. But I think deep down in our hearts, we say, you know what? Hey, he's a lot like me. <laughs> I'm a lot like Jonah. I've done a lot of the same things. Uh, and yet he's there. And uh, thank, I'm glad that God is done writing the Bible, because I don't want God to write my story down here and in four chapters tell you the, the, the worst mistake I ever made in my life, and then preachers for years and years and years to come commenting on the uh, the stupid move of Tim Mingy. You know, so we're going to just talk about Jonah, and uh, thankfully Revelation has come to a close, and we are done writing the Bible, and so the uh, life and times of Tim Mingy are not canonized, and so we are not uh, we're not going to talk about me today. As we get into Jonah, we, we uh, see this... This uh, three parts of Jonah, as I'll explain to you a little bit. We have number one, we have what I call Jonah the prophet. If you want to take your Bible, don't lose it spot in Jonah because you'll never find it again. But if you want to go to Second Kings chapter 14, this is the only other Old Testament reference to the prophet Jonah. And uh, sometimes because they are so, diff- uh, they are so separate in, in uh, their placement in the Scriptures, they seem like thousands of years must have taken place, but really, uh, these, these books are happening at the same time. Uh, these, these books are going on at the same time. Second Kings chapter number 14, this is Jonah the prophet. Jonah was a prophet uh, who lived in northern Israel. This is after uh, the kingdom of Israel had been split into two, and there was Judah and Israel. So after you read about Solomon, uh, and then we get into King Rehoboam, and, and I mean, just real briefly there, uh, that it was unified, and then all of a sudden it split. So anytime after this that you see the word Israel, it's generally referring to the northern kingdom of, of the split ten tribes, two tribes, uh, ten, no, ten tribes, two tribes, and uh, Judah would be the southern kingdom. Uh, Jonah was, a, was a, a Jewish prophet, if you will, a Hebrew prophet, in northern Israel. He learned he lived during the time of King Jeroboam II. There's two of them. One of them was really really bad and one was just really bad. Uh, but uh, he lived during the second Jeroboam around the mid 8th mid 8th century there. And uh, he was a prophet that and and to be a prophet during those times was a, was a good thing. I mean, I, I, Jonah wasn't a heel. Jonah wasn't this awful, wicked, uh disgusting man that got swallowed by a whale. Jonah was a preacher. Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was revered. Uh, when Jonah spoke, you stopped and you listened. Uh, Jonah would, uh, d- would, would speak good things. And Jonah was an example. Jonah was the type of guy that, that the, the, the parents would say, you know, Sonny boy, I want you to grow up and be like Jonah. I want you to be respected in the community. I don't know if Jonah had a family, but, uh, you know, if he was, if he was an eligible bachelor, I'm sure that many of the ladies in town would have, would have, uh, uh wanted to, uh, 
you know, marry him because of his, his, the honor and the respect that, that would come with being a prophet in Israel. We see that he was from this place in Gathifer, which is in Galilee. I think I got a map there for you in the next one there. I just wanted to show you, give you some understandings here. These are not accurate. These are, these are uh, my dots. And uh, so this is not the exact size there. So those of you who are like, that's a little bit two centimeters to the far to the east. I'm sorry, forgive me. But uh, so you can see there, Gathifer is uh, just, it's north. It's about two miles north of Nazareth, which is a famous town for, uh, for what, uh, what we read about it in the New Testament. And it's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. So that's, I wanted to show you these maps because when I dive into this first thought of Jonah running away, it really blew my mind the first time I put this down on maps and see this. But we see that, so there's, there's Jerusalem and, and uh, Gathifer. He's from this place in Gathifer. If you look in, in uh, 2 Kings 14, 25 there, you've, you've been turned there, I'll give you enough time to find it. Verse number 25, it says, He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the Sea of the Plain, According to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gathhefer. So there's there's Gathhefer there, and uh, there, we'll, we'll see that in just a minute. We see number two that Jonah, we see Jonah the Patriot. Jonah the Patriot. Uh, historically, during this time, during much of uh, Jonah's lifetime and before that even, uh, Israel had greatly suffered under Assyrian oppression. Assyria was that the Rome of its day that was that was conquering and taking over new lands and killing and 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 and, and specifically persecuting God's people. But around this time in Second Second Kings fourteen, we see that the grip of Assyria is beginning to loosen and they're beginning to uh, weaken. And so God tells Jonah to speak uh, on behalf of him, and he prophesies that under King Jeroboam the second's rule. Uh, and that's what the verse that we just read there, that they would they would have their, their land restored and and uh, commentaries and, and things say that they basically got as much land back as before the split. So because of the split and then being conquered by these different nations because of sin, uh, God uh, mercifully uh, gives them back this land. If you're still in Second Kings, continue reading verse 26, and this is why God did it. It says, For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter. For there was not any shut up, nor any left, nor any helper for Israel. And the Lord said, not that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. And it goes on and, and explained Then Jeroboam dies and all this. But, you know, they, they, were, they were in a bad place. And basically, God looks down and sees, you know, no one's fighting for Israel. No one, uh, no one's standing up for them. And God had been punishing them because of their sin and their apostasy and their idolatry and all of these 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 uh, these wicked sins that they had committed, but yet God, in His mercy, said, "You know what? I'm going to give you back some of this land." And so He tells Jonah, "Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to prophesy." Nothing new. He's a prophet. That's what prophets do. And so Jonah waits for the message, and God says, "I want you to go and prophesy that I'm going to give this land back to my people." And Jonah does. Great message. I'm sure the people loved hearing that. Imagining sitting in there and realizing we're getting our freedoms back. We're getting our land back. We're going to. Uh, maybe many of them getting their homes back because of this uh, this Assyrian uh, withdrawal, if you will. But then we see the last number three. We see Jonah the runaway. Because God, sometime I don't really know if it happened right after this, or maybe maybe it was right before it. I don't really know. But we see in Jonah chapter one, we see another the only other time that God tells Jonah something to prophesy and records it in Scripture, and he comes to Jonah. And he says, I have another message for you. 
as far as I can tell, there were not any other prophets that were called, Jewish prophets that were called to Gentile nations like Jonah was at this time. God tells Jonah, I want you to come and I want you to to go to Nineveh and I want you to prophesy to them the word that I will tell thee. We know what that word was when when he finally got to Jonah in chapter number 3 and he basically gives them this message of no mercy, this message of impatience, this message of doom and gloom. And in Jonah, because Jonah the patriot, because they were the enemies, there's Jonah ready to just twist the knife in. You guys are about to get it. We saw it in verse number uh, verse number uh, 4 of chapter 3. It says, uh, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's his message right there. No love, no PowerPoint, no, uh, no tear-jerking illustrations. 40 days, God's, God's going to judge you, my enemies. But we know the story Jonah didn't want to go. I wanted to show you on the map here, just, just real briefly, if you'll throw that map up there, please. Uh, there is Nineveh, 500 miles to the east of, of uh, where he's from, Gath-Hefer there. Uh, it would be our modern-day Mosul, Iraq, right around there, right, right on the Tigris River there. And uh, just keep that map up there for a minute as we go along. We know the story. I'm not going to go into the story too much today. But uh, Jonah decides that he doesn't want to tell the message to Nineveh. Now, that, that was my first, my first uh, pause there. Why, why does Jonah not want to bear the news? Why doesn't he want to bear the great news that they're about Israel's enemies are about to be destroyed? And for a couple of a week, uh, well, not this week, but a couple of weeks back when I was studying this out, I thought, what, what in the world? You know, how, why is he not excited about this message? We've heard the stories about how wicked Nineveh was. We know that uh, they were an awful people. I even read some of these things that uh, Nineveh was known for its wide, uh, its, its um, brutality. They would uh, impale their enemies on stakes hang their heads from the trees in the king's garden. They would hack off their noses and ears, gouge out their eyes, tear off their fingers and hands, and their lips. That's the one that I, I was like, ew, that doesn't sound very good. If you've seen the VeggieTales version of Jonah, they smacked each other over the head with fish, and uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, it wasn't as brutal as that. But uh, that, that's, no, that's Nineveh. It's said, I don't know, it's, it's, it's maybe legend or not, but it's said that Nineveh would uh, take the skins of their enemies and hang them over the wall of the city. And no doubt to uh, Im- intimidate those who would try to give them problems. So I've always grown up with this idea, that's why Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Because he doesn't want to be killed. He doesn't want to be uh, impaled. He doesn't want to have his lips ripped off. He doesn't want to be uh, his skin displayed over the city walls. And that's quite possibly part of the reason why Jonah uh, doesn't want to go to Nineveh. But we, what we don't see here in between verse number 2 and verse number 3 is an argument with God. Jonah begins to argue with God, and we see it not in chapter 1, but he refers to it if you'll take and turn the page and look in chapter number 4. Chapter 4 and verse number 2, Jonah says, he says, Verse number two, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? He's talking about chapter one, verse two. He said, didn't I tell you this when I was back in my country? Notice what he said. Therefore, I fled. This is why I ran from you, God, because I knew what was going to happen if I went there. Not that I was going to die, but he said, he goes on, he says, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee 
of the evil. Now we know the story. This is not a new story to us. Jonah goes into town and he basically has a citywide revival. And it, and I don't know how long this revival lasted. We know that eventually Nineveh does get destroyed for their sin, but years and years later. But at this point, Jonah comes in, 40 days, turn, uh, no, this is not even a turn or burn message. This is burn, 40 days. Uh, the clock starts now, and I can't wait. We even know from Jonah chapter 4, he goes up on, you know, on a hill or somewhere, and he's wanting to watch. He's got his popcorn out. He's got his lawn chair. The way that many of you will go out tomorrow night, and uh, want to watch some fireworks, right? You're going to get ready. Ooze and oz. Jonah is ready for fireworks. Maybe he's thinking Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, maybe he's thinking, you know, what is God going to do? He's going to blow this city up, and I've got a front row seat to watch it. And instead, he begins to hear the cries of repentance. And we'll get into that a little bit more detailed as we get there. But I wanted to point this out because this is this is basically why Jonah ran. But then the second question comes up to my in my little curious, curious mind. Why did Jonah run at all? How many of us have been told to do something by God and we just said, no, I'm not doing it. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but, you know, we've all, we've all been there. God says, do something, and you know in your heart, God wants you to do this, and you say, Mm-mm. it's like a two-year-old child. No, ain't doing it, God. Jonah took that a step further, and you can see there on, your, on, your, on the map on the screen there, he goes to Joppa. Joppa is about 60 miles away. It's right around where Tel Aviv is. And he goes down to Joppa with the intent of getting on a boat and going to Tarshish. Now, the exact location of Tarshish is unknown. Many believe it's in Spain. Spain would have been the westernmost uh, known location. That's Jonah going to the edge of the world. Remember, because the earth was still flat back then before God made it round. And so he was just going to the edge of the earth, if you will, to make a statement, God, I am not going, and in fact of going anywhere near there, I'm going to go to the furthest away place I can get. I'm going to Tarshish. I think I have it. Yeah, there's a picture there. Some people think it's right around there. You see the face of of Spain right there. That would have been 2,200 miles away. My question was, as I studied and I couldn't get it, why would Jonah go 2,200 miles to avoid going 500 couldn't he have been just as disobedient in Gathifer just by saying no and not gone through all the, the trauma he was about to go through to prove his point, God, I don't want to do this. And the, the, the big answer kept coming back to Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 2. Jonah predicted what would happen. Jonah didn't doubt that God's plan wouldn't work like many of us do. God says, I want you to do this. And we say, eh, I don't think it's going to work out, God. I mean, it doesn't really make sense. Jonah knew God's plan was going to work out. That's why he didn't want to go. He said in chapter 4, two, he says, I knew if I went, this is what would happen. I just knew it. I knew if I preached, I tried to make it as, as fiery and as venomous and, as, and, it, and sap as much love and compassion out of like, as I could out of that message. And I just got down to 40 days and you're consumed. And they still repented. And what's worse than that, God, you forgave them. You showed them mercy, God. That's why I ran, because I knew you're a merciful God. Jonah had this problem with patriotism versus Christianity. Maybe Jonah thought it was against 
what God had been doing. Remember, Jonah was the one that got to say, Assyria is losing, it, losing its grip. God is judging them. God is giving us the, the, the land back. And now if I go back to Assyria and they get right and you give them a second chance, they'll come back. They're our enemies, God. They are our, our worst enemies at this time. God, I can't preach a message to them of love. And I can't preach a message. I can't even show them that there's a slight chance of mercy and hope and forgiveness. God, just judge them. Just kill them. Don't wait 40 days. Just do it now. Don't even make me go there. Just do it. So rather out of, I don't think out of fear, Jonah disobeys. I think out of extreme prejudice and hatred, Jonah disobeys and runs away from God. Make just a couple of observations about this and get into the sermon to us today. Number one, observation. As we'll see, Jonah would soon need the same mercy from God that he wanted to withhold from Nineveh. And as we see throughout the entire book, mercy, 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 mercy. Now in case you're, you've heard that word a lot and you don't really get the meaning of it, mercy is getting what you not getting what you do deserve. When I sin and God doesn't squash me like a bug and send me right to hell, because I, as soon as I sin, that's mercy. The fact that I'm not going to go to hell for my sin is mercy. Grace is what God gives me that I don't deserve. The fact that God forgave me is mercy. He didn't have to, but He did. The fact that God paid for that sin Himself is grace. And all throughout Jonah, we see this idea of mercy. God says, I'm a merciful God. I love mercy. I love giving out mercy. And Jonah would find soon he would need many, many times, maybe even more so than Nineveh, the same mercy and forgiveness he wanted God to withhold. Why do those who enjoy mercy the most not want others to have it? Why is it that sometimes God's people who should know of mercy greater than anybody else in this world want it to withhold it from other people? It's not like we're going to lose it if we share it with other people. It's not like we have to give of our mercy to give to other people. We enjoy, we understand what it means to have been given mercy, to have been shown mercy, and yet, we don't want to give it away. We don't want to share it with other people. And even Jonah went as far and said, God, I'm not going to show them mercy. I don't want you to show them mercy. Last Wednesday night in prayer meeting, went through Matthew 5.44, Love your enemies. Praying for my enemies. It's not an easy thing to do. Very easy said. Very difficult to do. And this is what we're talking about as well. Number two. Don't, Jonah didn't trust in the wisdom of God's plan. Jonah thought he, had it, thought he had it all figured out. God, it doesn't make sense. You just told me back in 2 Kings 14, whenever that was, you told me to prophesy for the good of Israel. Now, I'm reading in between the lines, God, this is going to spell disaster for Israel. Why would you do this? God, I am not going to be a part of a plan that benefits my bitterest enemy. I am not going to be a plan, a part of a plan that leads to the hurt of my people. God, I want you to bless only Israel. We are your only people. Number three, 
Jonah's heart condition was then revealed by his actions. I think this is very interesting. If you look back in Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 2, when God tells Noah to go, verse number 2, he says, arise and go. Now look in that word go. You know what that word really means? Walk. He says, I want you to go walk. Look it up. You can look it up yourself. It says right there, it says to walk. I want you to go. Once you get, it's a 500 mile journey. He wasn't asking him to sprint there or run there even. I just want you to get up. I want you to get and go and walk. And what it says there to Jonah did in verse number three, it says, but Jonah rose up to flee. You want to guess what the word flee intent implies? Not walking, running. God said, I want you to walk east. And Jonah said, I'm going to run west, far away and as fast as I can get away from your plan. And it says twice, it tells us, from the presence of the Lord. I'm trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. We'll dig into that next week a little bit more uh, as we study out the storm and, and, and that. But, but you know, God, uh, God had told him to do something. And Jonah said, not only did he say no, he said, I'm going to do the exact opposite of everything you just told me to do. You told me to walk, I'm going to run. You told me to go east, I'm going to go west. I don't want this to happen. Why? Because I don't want my enemies to have any mercy. The biggest clue, I already said here, my, my, well, my biggest question to answer then was, why did he run? Maybe he thought he could force God's plan to change by not obeying. He thought that he was the key that would unlock God's plan. And as we've seen God work throughout all, all the Bible and even in our own lives, he doesn't really need us. We don't mess up his plans. He, he can use a donkey. He can use a whale. He can use nothing. He can do it with a man. He can do it without a man. He doesn't need us to make his plans happen. He lets us be a part of his plan. But Jonah didn't really grasp that. So, as we look into the heart of Jonah in chapter 4 and verse 2, we see that Jonah didn't want Nineveh to repent. He didn't want Nineveh to find mercy and forgiveness. He would rather see his enemies suffer and be eliminated than to repent and find mercy. And just real briefly, let me just tie this into how this speaks to us this morning. I love my country. I love America. I love being an American. I love the fact I love the red, white, and blue. I love the patriotism. I love the, I love the fact that this is my first, town, my first time living in small-town America, and they line the streets with American flags Memorial Day and the 4th of July, and that's a beautiful thing to see. You don't see that everywhere. Where, I, where I'm from, they would have stolen those things if you'd hung them up on the, on the street and the little flag holders that come with them. You, know, you, don't, you, don't, you don't decorate like that. And not that they're not patriotic. It's just it doesn't make financial sense because we can't afford to keep buying flags. I love that, though. I love uh, everything that has to do with... I love the patriotic songs, uh, that feeling that you get when the, the fireworks go off, someone singing the Star Spangled Banner. I'm one of those people... That as soon as the, 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 the flag is presented or the, the thing, I want to stand up, I want my hand on my heart, and I'm just looking straight ahead because I don't want to see someone on the corner of my eye sitting or standing. It bugs me when people just stand there too. Put your hand on your heart. Show, show your patriotism. Show you love your country. But more than that, I'm a Christian. I want God to bless my country. I prayed for my country this week. 
I want God to bless America. But more than I want that, I want God's will to be done. And as much as I would hate for it to ever conflict if that ever had to happen, as a Christian, I have to choose God's will. I wondered as I wrote this message out then, where does my priority, what does that look like? I'm an American. I wrote, I wrote a statement down, long before this was America, this is my father's world. We're Americans here. I think, I think all of us are Americans here. We go to these other countries. What has America been known for over the years? Freedom. And not just protecting our own, but we have gone to fight for other countries. Freedom. We don't worry, well, just forget about you guys. We're just worrying about... And men and women have laid down their lives so that other people might know the same freedom that we enjoy. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm the furthest thing from anti-patriotic. I'm, I'm not anti-America. Don't, please don't get me wrong. I hesitate to even, to even dwell on that because I don't want to get that. But here's, here's, my, here's my questions then, or my thoughts. Before we are Americans, or Chinese, or Russian, Jewish, Iraqi, whatever you want to, whatever nationality a person is, before we are those things, and above those things, we are God's creation. We are the objects of His love. We, the world, John 3.16, are the reason for why Christ came. He didn't come to save just the Jews. He didn't come just to save the Americans. We didn't even exist as a people. He came because there were people. Before there were lines and political boundaries, there were just people. And I don't really think that God looks at geopolitical sections of the world and says, well, yes, no, and maybe so. He looks down at an entire world and He sees people lost in sin. And he says, I came for those people. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what flag they, they fly. I don't care where their, where their sin level is. It seems like Israel and the church today, we look at other people's sin and say, whew, that's really bad. And ours is almost next to nothing. But if we were to really look closely at our sin, it's pretty bad. If we were to look at sin through God's eyes, I think we're all black as sin. No one is clean. No one is pure. It's all dirty. Does a person's citizenship matter more than his soul? That's the question I want to ask Jonah. Because Jonah does not want to give mercy. Because they are from Nineveh. It's the only reason why. They're Assyrians. They're my enemies. And since I can't share the message of God's love, I can't share a message of hope, I can't share a message that there's even a, a chance for mercy. As we get into it, we'll see that he didn't preach about mercy. And yet they repented, said, by chance, God will show us mercy. So they repented. They repented not to get the mercy. They just repented because they realized what they were doing was wrong. And then God gave them mercy. Jonah didn't want that to happen. 
Because all he could see was Ninevites and Jews. Hatred. Prejudice. Three lessons from Jonah 1 this morning. Number one, mercy is a part of being in God's family. We've been there. I apologized uh, a couple of Wednesday nights ago because I said it seems like every time I stand up to preach, Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 keep popping out. And again, here it happens again, Matthew 5.44. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. But notice the last phrase, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Luke 6 is the parallel uh, in, the, in the Gospels to this passage. And it says there, be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Jesus is saying, this is how the family works. We love mercy. You have little things in your family. This is how our family does. And maybe parents, kids come, why, why can't I do it? Johnny's family lets him do it. Well, that's how their family works, but this is how our family works, right? My family, uh, my, my, my son the other day, he, we were having some, we were at Chick-fil-A, and uh, he had a, a chocolate shake, and I said, let me have some of your chocolate shake. And he said, it's just chocolate. I said, son, don't you ever say it's just chocolate. Son, you know, I had to, I had to have a life lesson with him right there. I mean, it, it's not just chocolate, it's chocolate. You know, that's a Chick-fil-A chocolate shake. It's a good shake. And, you know, that, that's how our family works. And uh, we stand on that. And we love chocolate. And we love ice cream. And, you know, those, those are the, but, you know, and then there's other families like, well, so-and-so's family gets to do this. Or maybe you've had this argument, you know, why do we got to go to church today? Because our family goes to church. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what this family is, is all about. And God says, you want to know what my family's all about? It's about being merciful. It's about showing mercy to people who don't deserve it. So many verses there in your notes. I encourage you to read through them this week about mercy. I wonder where is my heart this morning? If God's heart is where mercy is, where is my heart? Is there someone that's in your mind right now that you say, you know, oh, I just can't stand that guy? Maybe other countries that have done horrible things to us. What's that first, what's that first response in you? When I watch movies about World War II, or when I read books about World War II, I get mad. I get mad at Germans and Japanese. Man, I get mad at these guys. I can't believe. And you know what happens? I tell my wife, I feel like a, a scoundrel because I'm like, oh, man. I, I read these read these books and I think, I could never forgive someone who did that to me. The way that they treated these guys in POW camps. And at the end of the story, he forgave them. I'm like, man, I'm not even as good a Christian as this guy in the story. You know, I, and, and, and but that's, that's what God's family is all about, is about showing mercy. Number two, we do not have exclusive rights to God's blessings and mercy. It's not because of who we are, because of who He is, because of who's God, who God is. You see the verse there in Romans, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, God says. I will be merciful to whom I choose to be merciful. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I don't care what you think. I will be merciful to the people I want to be merciful to. And I will be compassionate to the people I want to be compassionate to. I was reading this verse, and I, and I, didn't, I didn't put it in the, on the notes for the screen. But I thought this was interesting. I don't think it necessarily has to do with Jonah. It's not a slap, uh, a casual slap to Jonah's here. But I thought this was kind of funny. Verse number 15, he said, he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But I kept reading, and I thought this was kind of cute. So then it is not of him that willeth, or him that, you know, tries to make it happen, nor of him that runneth. And immediately I thought of Jonah. 
It doesn't matter if you run. It doesn't matter if you want it to. I will do it if I want to. I will show mercy to the people that try to make it happen, to the people that try to make it not happen. I will have mercy. I will have compassion on the people that I choose to have compassion on. So, as a Christian, I don't have exclusive rights to this. Oh, God only loves me because I'm one of his own, because he's privileged to have me in his family. No, no, no. Other way around. God loves me because he's an awesome God, because he's a God who loves and he's a God of mercy, because God didn't need to choose me any more than he needed to choose you. Think about it. If you ever put it into perspective, God loves me as much as he loves the worst person you can think of. Many of those worst people that we can think of are people in the Bible. People that did some awful things and God says, yeah, it's one of mine. I'm proud of him, but one of mine. It's not exclusive to God's people. Jonah had put national and personal prejudice above God's plan and mercy. Number three and last. And this is kind of the takeaway from what we're talking about today. Those who have experienced God's mercy should be the most willing to share it. Have you experienced God's mercy? You know what it's like to have mercy shown to you? Can you sit here and, and say, I know what it's like to be forgiven? I know what it's like to deserve punishment. I know what it's like to deserve condemnation. I know what it's like to not be worthy, and yet I also know what it's like for God to come down and say, good thing it's not about you. Pull you up out of the miry clay. Set your feet on a rock. We stand, we look and say, look where I got myself. No, no. Look where God put me. And if I know what that's like, then above all people, I should know how others need to have it as well. Ephesians 4.32, forgiving one another, even as God, why? For Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I forgive because I've been forgiven. I show mercy because mercy has been shown to me. I show grace because I was given grace. Not because I'm special, but because I know what it does to a heart. Because when mercy is shown and grace is shown and love is shown, guess what happens? change begins to happen. And Jonah says, you know what? If, if, if we go there, God, and we start preaching a message of love and grace and mercy, guess what's going to happen? It's going to work. And these people are going to actually do something with the messages they hear. And, and, and I, didn't really, I, I think I skipped over in the notes here, but uh, many believe that, that Jonah's message to Nineveh was actually a bit of a slap in the face to Jerusalem and to all of Israel who had prophet after prophet after prophet come and, and deliver message after message after message and still not turn back to God. And all it took was one message from one bitter old preacher and it turned the entire city of Nineveh around. All it took was one and look what happened in Nineveh. Jerusalem. Jesus stands in, standing on the top of the hill looking down and going, you've killed the prophets. You've been given so many chances and you turned away from me. Let me show you an example of what can happen. And I just offer a little mercy to someone else. And we see an entire city revival. Not because of the preacher, because of God's mercy and God's grace. If you've ever experienced God's mercy, be very willing to share it. You don't lose any of the what you've got. Be very willing to show it off to other people. And I go back to the verse that I read, and we'll close with this verse, Luke 6.36. Jesus says, Be therefore 
merciful as your Father is merciful. Love your enemies. So I go back to that question. Is my patriotism more important than my Christianity? What matters more to me? Am I prejudiced? I don't show mercy to people because of whatever reason. Or do I say, you know what, I don't really care who you are or what you've done. If only you knew who I am and what I've done and what God did and who God is. I'm going to show mercy.